The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Gist Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple. That's Arm Late. It is Wednesday, September 7th, and we have the mailbag. But first, Dallas Keuchel is not in the major leagues anymore. He was just DFA'd by the Texas Rangers. Him and his nine ERA, he bounced around from three separate teams this year. But now he's again looking for a team. I got to be honest, I'm not sure why teams are still picking him up, but what do you think? Why? I, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I keep rooting for him to just like kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat when he gets another chance with another team, but it, it's just progressively gotten worse. Uh, he got a chance with the Rangers and I don't know if he's going to get another crack. I haven't seen a pitcher make three appear for three different teams in like the span of a couple months. I can't remember the last time that's happened. If he makes it a fourth, that'd be pretty impressive. The only time I can ever remember it, and this might just be wrong, I just feel as if Edwin Jackson has been on every team in Major League Baseball. Is there a yes. possibility that Edwin Jackson played for four different teams? But at, however bad Edwin Jackson was, he was never as bad as what Dallas Keuchel has been giving his three different teams this year. It's crazy because he's only 34, but he's right? just really hit a wall. He's sitting like 86, and uh, it looks like it's the end of what, what was a good career, though. Won a Cy Young. You know, had some really nice seasons, won some gold gloves, but I think it's the end of the line for Talis. The gambling community is up in arms because they don't get to fade him. Yes, that was the easiest bet ever, ever. Let's get into the mailbag questions. Thank you all for giving us them. We do this every two weeks. Arm and I, we answer your questions on Instagram at just baseball show and on Twitter at just BB media. We have eight questions. All awesome. Let's get straight into it, Aram, because we have plenty to talk about. And the first one is an absolute banger. Yeah. Who will have the best infield three years from now? That was asked by David for Cy Young on Twitter. I'm going to go over the first easy ones. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to go over the easy ones first. Let's do some honorable mentions because I think that we both have the answers at the end. But let's go over some teams that if their prospects work out, they will have premier infields in three years. Yeah, I, I like starting with that because it, it's a big assumption to you know bank on all of these prospects panning out, but there's something to dream on three years from now. And I think you know you look at the Cincinnati Reds. If it all comes together for the Reds, they could have one of the best infields in baseball in three years. But obviously, that's a lot of hope uh, to pan out. But they have so many different guys with so much upside. You'll get Ellie De La Cruz, who's a top 10 prospect in baseball at this point uh, at shortstop switch hitter, plus plus power, plus plus speed. 
Noel V. Marte, I think, moves to third. That was the centerpiece in the deal for Luis Castillo. That guy rakes. He plays third. Second base, you could put Spencer Steer there, uh, or you could put Matt McClain there. Both guys are, are top 100 prospects that look really good. Steer's been great off the bat so far at the big league level. And then a first base, you could have Christian Encarnacion Strand. You could put Steer there. That Those are two guys that have mashed through the minor leagues as well. Like That is a crazy infield. And we're not even talking about Jose Barrero and some of the other prospects, Edwin Arroyo, other guys that could be fallback plans if someone doesn't pan out. And we're going to talk about catcher as well. Like a guy like Tyler Stevenson. He's, if he's healthy, he'll be great. Position. If yeah. he's if he's healthy, because we're going to add catchers into mm-hmm. this conversation. I feel yep. like it expands the amount of teams a little bit more. And catchers, they're the captain of the infield. They yeah. have to be. They're the captain of the whole team, but yeah. they really are in the infield. I think the Reds are a great one. What other teams have some tippity top prospects? Because I've loved what I've seen from Spencer Steer so far. I even put it out on Twitter that he's kind of becoming my new Cal Quantrill because I had the Reds and it was basically Spencer Steer against the Rockies he in that matchup where they won. He put on an absolute show. Also, thank you, Jake Fraley. But Spencer Steer, first game up, mature at bats. Love what I've seen from Spencer Steer. And I can't wait for Ellie De La Cruz. Oh, yeah. Who else is in our so, uh, the tippity top? So a couple quick prospect teams. You get the Rays, which, you know, you got Wander Franco healthy at shortstop. That's a guy that we know has, you know, top five shortstop in baseball upside. Brandon Lau, if he's healthy at second base, is one of the best power hitting second baseman in baseball. Curtis Mead's one of my favorite prospects. Top 30 prospect in baseball can play third base. I think that's a guy that will be up next year. And then first base. You got Yandi now, who's been great, but Jonathan Aranda is another one of the most underrated prospects in baseball. He's hit 320 almost every single year and added power. Another prospect-heavy team, uh, or I guess prospect assumption, would be the Cardinals. And I'm interested to see, it, it would depend on how Arenado and Goldie age, but assuming Arenado continues to be great at third, Goldie would be 37, but Mason Wynn at short unbelievable. Tommy Edmond will still be great at second base. That's one of the best defensive middle infields in baseball. If Mason Wynn continues to progress the way we think he can. And then I know we've seen Jordan Walker in the outfield, but maybe in three years, they may end up wanting to maybe play him at third, a little bit if Arenado is starting to slow down or at first, if Goldie is starting to slow down, but perhaps one of my favorites would be the Orioles too. Uh, before we get to the two, like safe, big, big, you know, infields that we know are going to be great. The Orioles are interesting because you got Gunnar Henderson, who I think will eventually take over shortstop uh, after Mateo. Maybe he plays shortstop one more year. I don't know what their deal is there, but you got Gunnar Henderson at short. You have Jordan Westberg, who is another top 100, really good bat, already putting up numbers in AAA at third base. You got second base, which could be a few different guys, but Connor Norby already has 23 homers this year. He is a stud second round pick this past or two years ago. Big fan of his. And then first base, you can kind of mix and match in a lot of different ways. And then, of course, catcher. They've got Adley freaking Rutschman there, who's going to be the best catcher in baseball in three years. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And not to mention just about the Mountcastle at first, of course, too. Mountcastle is going to rake. Just finishing your Cardinals point, because they're so loaded. We were even talking pre-record. And Alec Burleson possibly could move to first base. And we can't forget about a guy like Nolan Gorman. Will he factor into the starting infield when you have a Mason win, when you have Tommy Edmond? Not sure, but at least you have Nolan Gorman there if you want him. I think the only issue with the Cardinals is the catching position. Ivan Herrera is a guy. Andrew Kisner is a guy, but those aren't the names that you really want to staple in three years from now, the catching position. But if we just look at infielders, it's hard to find a team more loaded than the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's talk about 
the first team that came to my mind when I'm thinking about best infields in three years. That's the New York Mets, because I'm thinking about Francisco Alvarez at catcher. I'm thinking about Brett Beatty at third, Francisco Lindor at shortstop, whoever the hell Steve Cohen wants to put a trillion dollars in at second base. And then you got the polar bear Pete Alonso at first base. That right now seems like one of the premier infields in three years. I know Lindor is going to be a little bit older. I know Pete Alonso is going to be a little bit older, but neither neither are 30 years old no. yet. I think they're going to be totally fine. And I, Brett Beatty's gone through a little bit of ups and downs so far, but he's one of the better third base prospects in all of baseball. I think the New York Mets have to be one of the best infields in three years. What about you? Oh, I agree. Whether it's McNeil or somebody else, I mean, they, they can figure it out at second base and the rest of the infield. I think Brett Beatty is going to be a really good third baseman for a long time. Lindor is not slowing down anytime soon. Neither is Alonzo. And you, you, you are hoping Francisco Alvarez will be one of the best catchers in baseball if he reaches even close to his ceiling. So I think that's a no brainer. And we're going to be talking about kind of Mets versus Braves. We already did as it presently stands, but it's going to be the same case three years from now too. Mark Vientos is another guy that, you know, you can mix in there, which I think he'd be more of a DH, maybe corner outfield if you want, but he could also fill in at first base. If Pete Alonso ends up going more the DH route as he gets older, though, he's been playing a better first base than he did earlier in his career. Uh, the Mets are going to be just fine for a while in the infield, even if they don't retain Jeff McNeil. Let's get into the second one, because I know you have one. And honestly, we should include a third. This is really the top three. And once we're done going through the top three, let's pick one. Let's, you know, let's let's do it. Okay. You know, let's make a hot take and let's pick one. But who's the second that's kind of on your mind? So I, I look at the Atlanta Braves division rival right right there. Austin Riley, three years from now, I think will actually be at his peak his prime which we already see him on the cusp of reaching he seems to get better every single month i think he's gonna be one of the best hitters in baseball in three years so you have him anchoring third base obviously ozzy albies is locked up for the foreseeable future at second base uh they're more than fine for three plus years at first base with matt olson william Contreras right now is not catching as much he's not the best defensive catcher but travis darno will be gone you, you figure Contreras, even if he's an average defender, the bat is legit. If he catches there, that's also a really nice piece there. The big question is shortstop. What do they do there? Is, is Stansby Swanson still going to be there? Under the presumption that he is, that's an infield that I'd stack up with anybody. They also have Von Grissom as an insurance policy in the infield. I think he moves to the outfield, but that is a ridiculously good infield for a long time. The Braves might be better than the Mets, but the one team who could be better than all two of them, and that's what we're going to talk about in a minute, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. When you look at what is the weakness for the Los Angeles Dodgers at this current juncture, you could say third base, even though Justin Turner is holding it down over there. But who do they have coming right up? They have Miguel Vargas, one of the best overall prospects in all of baseball, right there in waiting, and a guy who looks kind of slim right now, but I can't imagine when he fills out. It's also, we're under the assumption that Trey Turner will re-sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think when you look at the shortstop market, it's either going to be Trey Turner or it's going to be a Xander Bogarts or it's going to be a Carlos Correa. It's going to be one of these free agents at shortstop. I'm going to stick with Trey Turner at least right now. Then you have Gavin Lux over at second base. 
probably not going to be like a Chris Taylor or anything like that. I think we can kind of put Gavin Lux at that second base position, been much better with the bat. He was the, he was a number one overall prospect at one point, had some struggles early on in his career, especially on defense felt like he couldn't throw the ball over to first base, but is now finally settling in looks like that second baseman of the future. Then you go to first base and you got Freddie and you got Freddie Freeman. And what, what else could you be upset about? Then a catcher still my favorite catcher in baseball. If you just figure, out how to frame the ball, but maybe we get some robo umps and he won't need to frame the ball anymore. And we can just focus on the bat, which is still probably the best bat of any catcher. You could say Salvi, but not this year. Salvi last year, Will Smith, in my opinion, is still at least one of the best catchers in the entire sport. That is an incredible infield. And then we're talking about the Mets buying a second baseman. Dodgers can buy whatever they want. They have the highest, <clears throat> excuse me, highest payroll in all of baseball. The Dodgers, the Mets, and the Braves Let's choose one because it's tough. There's there's one one, more. One wrinkle too on the Dodgers. If Will Smith moved, like if they want to move him off of catcher, they have a a top 10 prospect in baseball in Diego Cartaya, who's a phenomenal defender and will be big league ready in three years. So you you have two options there. If Cartaya doesn't pan out, okay, you still got Will Smith. If Cartaya looks like, you know, the next big thing behind the dish, maybe you move Will Smith somewhere else. And Miguel Vargas is one of my favorite. Uh, you know, just offensive prospects in baseball can anchor third. And then second base, they have another insurance policy. Michael Bush has been raking in AAA. So I would bet a lot of money on the Dodgers having one of the best infields in baseball uh, in in three years. But man, you, you could go any direction with the Dodgers, Braves and the Mets. There's no wrong answers. I would say I think the Mets, when we talk it out more, I think the Mets are third in this conversation. I do. Because I think Francisco yeah. and Lauren, Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso are the two best in this infield. And they're only going to be a little bit older. And I don't put them in the same breath as maybe a Trey Turner or a Freddie Freeman. So just on that aspect, I'd rather have the Dodgers. Now I think. When you look at, would you rather have Miguel Vargas or Brett Beatty? Oh, that's really tough. That's I would really call tough. them just like dead even. Okay. But then we have a Gavin Lux versus whatever the Mets can get at second base. Then you have Francisco Alvarez versus both Will Smith and Diego Cartaya. However good you think Francisco Alvarez is, I'm more settled thinking that either Will Smith or Diego yeah, exactly, exactly, is a better combination than Francisco Alvarez. So that's why I put the Dodgers above the Mets. But then you look at the Braves, dude. And the Braves might have the best four possible, but it's tough. So I think it's between the Dodgers and the Braves because of the Dodgers' enormous pockets. I would say the Dodgers, but if you said you think the Braves – you ain't wrong. If you say yeah. the Mets, you're not wrong either. This is we're cutting hairs at this point. Yeah, I think Splitting I think the, the I think the Dodgers are my answer here because look, Ozzy Albee's a good second baseman, but I, I I think Gavin Lux in three years is gonna be a better second baseman than Ozzy Albies. And if you look at F4, he pretty much is already on his way to putting up you know one of one of the better seasons in that department compared to Ozzy Albies. He's already a, above a three three F4 player. Uh I look at third base and obviously that's that's set for the Braves. But I feel like when you look at shortstop, 
the Dodgers can go so many different directions. I assume they're going to keep Trey Turner under this assumption that the Braves keep Dansby and the Dodgers keep Trey Turner. It's just, it's just not the same, right? It, it, and Dansby has been great this year, but he slowed down a little bit in the second half. I think we're, it's fair to assume if he gets extended, he's going to be somewhere between the first half and the second half this year. Trey Turner is one of the best players in baseball, uh, just point blank period. So I, and when you, also factor in the fallback plans that the Dodgers have with all the other prospects and Gavin Lux continuing to get better. I think Albies kind of is what he is at this point. I, I agree. I think, I think the, the Dodgers are the option, but one angle that could make this interesting is if Matt Olson kind of goes back to, to being the Hank Aaron award finalist, he was, he's starting to look really good, but if Freeman slows down a hair in three years and Olson is going nuclear, that would make things interesting. And obviously the catching situation is a big separator for, for the, the Dodgers as well. The catcher is the big separator because I think you could make the argument that of the four infield positions, the Braves might have a slight edge, but then the Dodgers just take this massive leap because you have Will Smith, who's guaranteed is one of the best catchers in baseball. And then you have Diego Cartai, who could be one of the best yes. catchers in baseball compared to William Contreras, who had a really nice first half. But I don't know if he's truly, truly, truly the guy that you staple down and say, this is my catcher for the next three years. We found that guy. Yeah. You'd think with Alex Anthopoulos, the fact that he wants to extend as soon as you go through 50 games, a William Contreras hasn't been extended by the Atlanta Braves. Not to say that he doesn't deserve to be. I don't know if they know where he fits in. Exactly. So maybe, and maybe he's not even catching because your point hasn't been that great defensively. Maybe he's more of a DH option. And at this point, Travis Darno will have not moved on, but just won't be the level of catcher that he is at this current juncture. Absolutely. That was awesome. First question. Let's get into the second one, which is another great one. What is the best aspect of every playoff caliber team asked by just underscore lions on twitter good twitter um tag by the way just yeah you know, we, we just anything yeah. we're on board with and so we have so many questions that we're going to get to so i feel like we should go kind of through these rapid fire yeah. i'll go we'll kind of go team by team I'll start in the AL East with the Yankees. And if you want to then go to the Rays and then I'll go to Blue Jays and the Orioles, yep. we'll kind of just switch off like that and then go East, Central, West, and then East, Central, West. I'll start with the Yankees. And the thing that is difficult is Aaron Judge is the best aspect of the Yankees <laughs> at this current moment. So the best aspect is, of course, the offense, if it can get rolling. Aaron Boone had a quote the other day, which kind of made me upset, but it wasn't wrong, that they lead the league in scoring, even though they've been so bad. We forget that just a couple of months ago that this Yankees offense was an absolute juggernaut, and it was followed by incredible pitching performances and great stuff from the bullpen. But overall, when you go to Yankee Stadium, what are you afraid for? Afraid of? You're afraid of Judge. You're afraid of Stanton. You're afraid of LeMahieu. You're afraid of the offense. You know, Matt Carpenter has been out, who was a huge cog for them, yeah. too. Harrison Bader is going to return. That at least gives them another. But, you know, Ben Attendi going out definitely doesn't help. But if I'm looking at the Yankees, the best aspect of this team, you could say the bullpen, and I wouldn't say that you're wrong. But for me, it's still the offense. I agree with that. And it, it it has to get better, right? It has to. And getting Carpenter back should should help. I think people really underestimate how much losing Carpenter really, really hurts with what he was able to do and how well he was hitting. Uh, looking at the Rays, it, it's the pitching, bro. But it's not just that. It's the way they piece together the pitching, right? They've had 
guys drop down like flies on especially their bullpen hit the IL left and right. They've been able to piece together with either openers, relievers that go multi innings and then starters filling in Uh, from top to bottom. It's one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. Statistically, Shane McClanahan's hurt. That stinks, but he dodged a bullet. He should be back and healthy. You look at some of the relievers and how good they've been. I mean, Jeffrey Springs as kind of a swing man has been awesome. Jason Adam, Brooks Raley, they've all been amazing. And then just the way they've been able to piece everything else together. Matt Whistler just recently came back and hopefully they'll start to get a few other arms back as well. Uh, The way the Rays are able to pitch and mix and match and just come at you with so many different arms. That's how they win bank games. That's why they're still alive. Funny. The Rays actually uh, DFA'd Matt Whistler. The slider guy is no longer on the Rays. He was really good for them for a little bit, then kind of teetered off later. And now he is unfortunately not a Tampa Bay Ray anymore. And also Jeffrey Springs, I mean, he he was like a swingman, but he has really taken a stranglehold yeah. on this starting rotation. Now with um with Shane McClanahan out, he's been one of the Rays' best overall starters. And how and about even, Drew Rasmussen? Oh, he's been awesome too. I mean, just they piece together pitching like nobody's business. Yeah. Let's and, move and, on. And, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it was the last thing else. we talked about it an episode or two ago. Rasmussen has been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last month or so. Like it's just, it's amazing how they get the most out of their guys. Let's move on to the Toronto Blue Jays. And similar to the Yankees, this team relies on offense. They're second in average, fourth in on-base percentage, and fourth in OPS in baseball, eighth in home runs. They're led by a trio. Well, I mean, it's it's everyone in the lineup. There's no rest here. Lordy Scurriel has had a phenomenal second half. He hits third in their lineup because he's that type of hitter. Bo Bichette is really starting to heat up. Of course, you got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Of course, you got George Springer. Of course, you got Alejandro Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, Rakes, and Matt Chapman is one of the top 10 in hard hit rate this year. Every single player in their lineup rakes. And then you have Santiago Espinal at the bottom of the lineup. You also can mix in Whit Merrifield, Kevin Biggio, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. doesn't really hit, but he just relied on defense because they don't really need his bat. And that's kind of the reason that they got him. The Blue Jays are one of the best offensive teams in baseball, even though they kind of go through ups and downs when they're on, when they're on the up, there might not be a better offense. In they're baseball. scary. That's how, that's how loaded they are. Oh, they're scary. Uh, and even one last team that's fading out of the playoff on a little bit right now, but I, I think they can get back into it with a nice little stretch. The Baltimore Orioles, what they have going for them in terms of like actual roster structure The bullpen has been just amazing, but the offense has been really good as well. I think they're a balanced team with a ton of youth and youth energy, youthful, just energy might be my favorite thing about them and might be a big reason why they're doing what they're doing, right? They're almost playing with nothing to lose. They're going all out. They're playing hard. They're getting the extra base. They're doing all the little things on paper. Bullpen has been phenomenal, but I think in terms of winning ball games, it's the youth and the energy and that fearlessness that they're playing with that has kept them afloat uh, for this entire season. Then you had Gunnar Henderson to the fold. Yeah, it's pretty to good. The fold. Pretty good. Yeah, they're a pretty good baseball team. Let's move on to the AL Central, and that's the Cleveland Guardians. Again, similar to the Orioles, this is a pretty well-balanced team, but I think the money is made in the back end of the bullpen. The money is made in the back end of the bullpen. They're fourth in ERA as a staff. They're third in whip. And you have Emmanuel Classe, who's probably the second best reliever in all of baseball. You have James Karinchak, who's came back and is now probably, if not the best setup man in baseball, at least one of them. You have Trevor Steffen as well. You have Nick Sandlin. You have even guys who kind of piece together what you need. If you have a bad start from a starter in a guy like Eli Morgan, you have Sam Henches, you have Brian Schott. There's so many good 
bullpen arms back there like De Los Santos. I could continue. Obviously, the rotation is solid with Bieber, Quantrill, and McKenzie. And even Aaron Savali has been really good lately. But I think when you have one of the best bullpens in all of baseball, yeah. that's your strength. 100%. Because even, even the fourth and fifth guys in their rotation, Savali and whoever makes a spot start, then we need to go five innings. Give them five yeah. quality innings. The bullpen will take over. And that's exactly what we've seen. The Minnesota Twins, it's that offense. I mean, they're top 10 in baseball in almost every single you know offensive category you want to look at. And I think you know, they, they've been streaky. But when they're going right, you talk about the Blue Jays, not quite on that level, but when when the Twins are going right, that offense can really knock you around. When Buxton's in the lineup, Correa's heating up. Arias has slowed down as of late, but still is one of the best contact hitters in baseball. He's been in a slump, and he's got a 377 OPS, or uh, sorry, 377 on base percentage. Polanco has shown some flashes. Miranda has been wonderful this year. And Nick Gordon has been a really nice development there. I, I think the offense, when it's clicking, is up there with just about any. And that's what's kind of kept them afloat this year. The White Sox are a tough one because <laughs> they're not that good at anything. I would lean towards the offense. Yeah. Because when I go to face Chicago on the south side, my number one thing is, are they going to hit me today? Outside of Dylan Cease, when you have Lucas Giolito not performing, you have Lance Lynn, who has been performing better, but has still been up and down this season. Johnny Cueto has been their second best pitcher yeah, all season awesome. long. It's actually been awesome for them. But when I look at the offense, I still look at one of the best teams in baseball against left-handed pitching. Elvis Andrews has been a good addition for them yeah. at shortstop. He's really filled the need, but then they're obviously going to get Tim Anderson back. Andrew Vaughn's been good. Jose Abreu's been great. Eloy Jimenez, when he plays, He's been good. Even Gavin Sheets, while he can't play in the field, has been good for them. Luis Robert is hitting 300 again this year. Juan Moncada has been really, really struggling this year. But even at his worst, he's still a fine hitter at times. I think it's the offense for the White Sox, but they're it, even lucky they're getting talked about at this yeah, point. But I, they it, could just walk into an AL Central crowd if the Guardians and Twins don't yeah, take a hold of this. They're just, they're just going to back into it, potentially. It's got to be the offense, if anything. One thing they do is they put bat on ball, right? Like, they, they make a ton of contact. They're one of the best in baseball and batting average for what that's worth. But they don't walk. They're the worst in walk rate, 6%, uh, which really hurts their offensive production. But they will grind you out, and they'll put the ball in play. And that's part of the reason why I think they've – been able to to stay around 500 despite everything that's happened this year. How about the Astros? <laughs> the Houston Astros can do just about everything, right? I mean, yeah. I you could pick so many different things that the Astros are good at, but I would honestly say their biggest strength at this point is probably the pitching because they have just a lights out arm. It feels like that can go for them almost every single day. They're one of the best in baseball, if not the best in runs allowed uh, per game ERA sub three this season. Are you kidding me? A sub three team ERA. They're striking out 25% of batters as a team. That's the best in the American league. Uh, almost every single pitching category. They are one of the best or the best in the American league. And they just called up Hunter Brown who carves in his first outing. They're going to get Verlander back. Javier has been great. Uh, Garcia has been solid. McCullers is back. The bullpen has been really good. The pitching is insane. Don't get me wrong. The offense is awesome, but the pitching has got to be the Astros biggest strength. The Mariners could break a two decade long yeah. playoff drought. 
According to Fangraphs, 99.2% chance to make the playoffs. But I know Mariners fans hear that and they say it's not 100 and it's not over, so I'm not jinxing it. But the strength of the Mariners is the bullpen, but I'm not going to discount the starting pitching. So I'm just going to say pitching in general. First, let's talk about the bullpen because the bullpen is second in whip, seventh in ERA. It's been one of the best bullpens in the entire sport. You got Paul Sewald as the closer, who's got a funky arm angle, and he's been really good, got a really good slider. Andres Munoz looks like a younger version of Edwin Diaz at times. You got Eric Swanson, Diego Castillo, Matt Brash, who's kind of moved from the starting rotation into the bullpen. And I, think it's, I think it's a better role for him, but I still, I'm not, I'm not saying that he can never be a starter because I still do believe that's still in there. But Penn Murphy has been another guy, Matthew Festa. And now they've used kind of Chris Flexen more in the back end because they have so many starting pitchers. When you have Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, George Kirby, that's enough. Marco Gonzalez is a guy that I would be nervous about if you see him starting postseason games. Did you know that right now, Marco Gonzalez has the worst FIP and XFIP for all pitchers that qualify, including Patrick Corbin. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't know that. The advanced stats hate Marco Gonzalez, but Marco Gonzalez is also a guy that just faced the White Sox was due to get crushed. The White Sox have been one of the best teams against lefties. Seven innings, four hits. He three gets outs. He, he's That's a weird gets outs guy. He gets soft. He soft contact is his best friend. So he's, Always going to be a guy who outperforms the expected stats and the FIP and the XFIP, but I think it should go noticed that maybe you face a team like the Astros or the Yankees or the Blue Jays or even the Orioles or the Rays or the Gar- like these teams can beat up on a guy like Marco Gonzalez, but I don't think that he'll they'll be needed when we're when we see the Mariners in the playoffs when you have Gilbert Castillo, Ray, and Kirby, which is plenty, plenty. So the Mets. There's two directions you can go because the number one strength is obviously having two Hall of Famers at the top of your rotation, right? Of course, no Pretty team good. can can really say that. But if you look at what their best strength is as a team, and especially as Max Scherzer is hurt right now, they, they I talk about grinding out a pitcher. There might not be a team that grinds out a pitcher better than the New York Mets. They don't strike out. I think they strike out the second least in all of baseball. The only team that's better in that department is Cleveland, and that's because they have Stephen Kwan and a couple other guys who refuse to strike out. Uh, The Mets striking out 19.8% of the time is ridiculous because they also hit for power, and they can spray the ball all over the field. I think the offense and the way that they can grind you out, advance hitters with great approaches is is a strength, but – then again, also having two Hall of Fame starters at the top of your rotation is is quite the strength as well. There's no wrong answer for these four teams, the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers and the Astros, because they're four of the most well-balanced teams in Major League Baseball. When we move over to the Atlanta Braves, they are second in OPS as an offense in all of baseball. They're sixth in starter ERA. They're first in case per nine as a staff. So which one are you going to choose? But then when you go to the relief pitchers, there's sixth in ERA and also first in strikeouts per nine. So what is it? Uh, everything. Their strength um, is that they're good at everything. They're good at everything. That's what the Braves are. But that's a cop out. I, 
I'm gonna say the offense. Yeah. Just because I think that there's a chance that Charlie Morton doesn't have a great postseason and that Kyle Wright doesn't have an amazing postseason, but the bullpen is incredible. So it won't matter that much. So I'm just gonna go with what I know is elite. I know the other things are elite, but I know the Braves offense is elite. When you have Ron Acuna Jr. at the top, then you have Dansby Swanson, who has established himself as one of the best shortstops in baseball this year. You have Austin Riley, who's an MVP candidate. You have Matt Olson, who even at his worst is one of the better first basemen in baseball. You have Michael Harris, who has come onto the scene and has become one of the better center fielders in the National League. You have, I'm, I don't know. They're going to bring Albies back. Yeah, they're going to bring Albies back. Yeah, I got William Contreras. You got Travis Darno. I don't want to talk about Ozuna. You got Eddie Rosario. You got Robbie Grossman, who's my boy, too. Like, they are so loaded, not just in the nine, but their bench. So I'm going to say the bench combined with their starting nine is the plus. But if you said bullpen, you're right. If you said starting pitching, you're also right. They're so well-balanced, it's crazy. Going to the Phillies, it's just pure power. I mean, they are the kind of team that you're down three runs, they could hit a three-run shot, right? Like they can get one swing and get back into a ball game. You know, they're going to live and die by that. But seventh in Major League Baseball in home runs is pretty impressive, given that Bryce Harper, last year's MVP, has been out for you know it just returned obviously, but was out for for months. You assume Harper's healthy. They have 166 home runs. The teams ahead of them are the Cardinals, Astros, and Dodgers, who each are within. 12 home runs of the Phillies, a healthy Bryce Harper probably puts them right up there in the top five in major league baseball. Uh, They can get into home runs in bunches and that's how the Phillies are probably going to live and die uh, through the rest of the season. And maybe even the postseason. A team that you just mentioned that's in that home run group is the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's their biggest strength. Paul Goldschmidt might win the triple crown. Nolan Arenado, if Paul Goldschmidt wasn't in the national league, might be the MVP. So you got those two at the top. And then you look at a guy like Brendan Donovan, who's been awesome this year. And yes, I'm talking about him third because he's been such a good addition for the Cardinals this year. You got Tommy Edmond, you got Tyler O'Neill, Corey Dickerson just went on a 10 for 10 tirade. You got Albert Pujols on the rise for 700 career home runs and is one of the best hitters against lefties for some reason. And you also got Dylan Carlson, who has kind of looked like a platoon bat this year. Kind of been looking like a platoon bat, but he's been platooning with a guy like Lars Newbar or Corey Dickerson as well. They just get offense from every corner of their team on a Cardinals team that's normally built on pitching, but the offense as a whole has been unreal this year, ranking third in OPS as a team and sixth in home runs and second in on-base percentage. The Cardinals offense is crazy. And the defense, right? Like that, the the Cardinals are doing what they do, which is defend number two in outs above average. All of the guys that you mentioned pick it really well. Arenado is one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. Tommy Edmond is spectacular. You know, at second base, the outfield is all really good defensively, and Goldie as well at first. Like Yadi, I don't know what the metrics say about him, but he's still Yadi or Molina, and is a big part of the defense. Uh, behind the dish and, and Andrew Kisner, night whatever I, I can never say his Kisner. name right. Kisner is a solid defender as well. I mean, defense is what they do, and they do it really damn well. Mm-hmm. Brewers, Brewers are tough, man, because we we bag on them for their defense. Or I mean, for their for their lack of offense. Excuse me, but they're what fourth in home runs this year. I know. I know. 
Like, what is the, I want to say starting pitching, but like, it's not. They're 12th in ERA this season. They're even worse, I believe, in FIP. Um, I guess it's power. <laughs> Am I saying that about, about the Milwaukee Brewers? I know American Family Field is really easy to hit in, and I guess they've leaned into that this year. They're third in Major League Baseball behind the Yankees and the Braves in home runs. Corbin Burns has stunk over the last month. Um, you know, they just got Freddie Peralta back. Woodruff has looked good. They traded Josh Hader, who has, has obviously been horrible. Um, the bullpen's still been solid. That's probably their strength, even sans Josh Hader. But I got to say it's power. Willie Adamas, 26 homers. Uh, Hunter Renfro, 24 homers. And then everybody else has double digit. They, they kind of remind me of the Giants last year with all of the double-digit homer guys, Yelich has double-digit homers. Wong does. Tyrone Taylor does. Caratini's one homer away from double-digit. Arias, Keston Hira, Rowdy Telez is 28. McCutcheon has 14. Like, they've got so many different dudes with at least 10 homers. That's reminiscent of the Giants last year, and they've kind of found a way to platoon and piece together this season. I got to say it's the power, which is bizarre to say. The Los Angeles juggernauts are first in batting average as an offense, first in on-base percentage, first in OPS, first in run scored. Starting pitchers, they are first in ERA, they are first in whip, and they are first in hits per nine. Relief pitchers, they are first in whip, they are third in ERA. Should we just move on? What, what is <laughs> yeah, it? I don't best. know. The they're answer the is the best at everything in baseball. Are are you kidding me? Yeah, they're the best, they're the best team I can remember. Like assembled wise, assembly wise, like they they're one of the most flawless teams I think we've we've seen in our lifetime. I'm going to pick the offense just because it's ranks first in more categories. Yeah. But because they're first in average, first in on base, first in OPS, first in run scored, fourth in home runs, and six in stolen bases. They steal a bunch of bases too. When you have Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Trey Turner at the top of the lineup with Will Smith, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Gavin Lux, Joey Gallo, Cody Bellinger, Trace Thompson, and you got Miguel Vargas if you need him. And Chris Taylor has been awesome. I What? Hanser Alberto, if you need him. Hanser Alberto even pitches for you in the yeah. bullpen. And then they just got Blake Trinan back, who gives the bullpen another added edge. It's funny, when you look at the Dodgers' bullpen, who's the worst reliever? Their closer, Craig Kimbrell. But yeah. now Blake Trinan is back there. They are just unstoppable. I don't know. You tell and me. who the You assume they get Gonsolin back soon. Like yeah. hey, they, they, they are, They're ridiculous. They might call up Bobby Miller or something else. I, they, for fun. Just they're, for fun. Yeah, they're, they're legitimately a joke in the yeah. best way possible. Padres. Padres. This will do it. What? What is the Padres strength? It's got to be the Jekyll and Hyde offense. It's the superstar power, I think. You know, it's the star power that has really just kept the Padres alive when I look at what they've done. You know, I wanted to say pitching because that was something that was great for them, but that's really fallen apart. I think what's really been the strength for the Padres has been the star power, the Manny Machados of the world, keeping you afloat. Juan Soto even. I mean, going to get him, if they didn't get him, where would they be right now? I have no clue. Um, It's really just the star power keeping them alive, but the team doesn't really have a glaring strength right now. They went and got Josh Hader to help the bullpen. That didn't help. The offense has been incredibly inconsistent as a whole. It's really just the stars that are carrying the Padres team. And, and I think that's really uh, what you have to chalk it up to them as their biggest strength is, is the superstars. Minus Tratis. <laughs> we just did a very long question. Hopefully that answered your question of what is every single playoff team's biggest strength moving into the 2022 playoffs. Arm, we got a really, really good one. And 
you and I have both been to a lot of ballparks. We haven't been to all of them. You've actually been to more ballparks than me. So I'm going to rely on you a little bit for this one. Great question. What are your top five ballparks? Asked by Matt to Frosty from Twitter. The first two, the first two are Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Yeah. Feel like those have to be the first two on any single list. Third, I want to put Camden Yards. The problem is I've never been to Camden Yards. <laughs> but the reason I want to put Camden Yards third is that whenever you ask around, like what are the best ballparks you the best ballparks you have to be, you have to go to? My dad says we have to go to Camden Yards. Yeah, it's awesome. Every single comment I've ever seen is Camden Yards. Yeah. Would you agree? Have you been to Camden yes. Yards and would that be number three for you or how are you mixing up? The so list? it's funny. I, people always ask me the question because, you know, my dad and I were trying to do the 30 stadiums and we made it to 20 of them and I've made it to, to six more cents. And people always ask me, you know, like, what are your favorites? And I always like to, to kind of separate the historic stadiums, meaning basically Fenway and Wrigley, because those are in their own bucket, right? Like that is just baseball heaven there and comparing that to like AT&T which you know comparing that to San Francisco it, it, it's just apples to oranges San Francisco is one of my favorite stops I've I've ever been to I mean McCovey Cove right there the fans get there early the weather is always perfect uh the atmosphere is unbelievable uh that is probably one of my favorites but Camden you, you ask anybody player fan anybody they're gonna say Camden and I agree with that that's a top one so I would say it's Wrigley Fenway, San Francisco, Camden, and then I love Petco. San Diego is another one. Weather, awesome. Atmosphere, awesome. Stadium, awesome. Surrounding area, awesome. Um, And and the fans are really into it as well. I just, that's that's probably right up there for me. And then honorable mention, Truist, they killed it. The Braves killed it. Atlanta did with Truist. That's one of my favorite new ballparks. and, And the whole battery area is so cool. That's an honorable mention, but yeah, that's definitely my top five. The reason why I haven't been to PNC. So I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to St. Louis for Pujols' last game. Haven't been there yet. Those might bump one of the West coast ones out, but I haven't been to those two yet for those who are like up in arms right now. That is a phenomenal top five. Yeah. Give me your thoughts on Yankee Stadium and City Field because we've been there the most this year because we live in New York. So I've been to Yankee Stadium now 15 times and I've been to City Field, I think more than that. I've been to so many Mets and I've been to so many Yankee games. I am biased. I worked for the Yankees for two years. I was through every single corner of the New York Yankees. I used to work in the tours department. I was a 19-year-old intern. I wasn't giving tours, but I was a tours intern in that front office where they control all the tours, and I was in the business side of that. So I've actually been to every single corner. I've been on the field. I've been in the dugout. I've been the highest level of Yankee Stadium all the way to the basement of Yankee Stadium. So I'm biased there. The Yankees makes my top five, even though it probably shouldn't, but it's just because I'm biased. City Field on the other side is a phenomenal city. Awesome. I love the food at City Field. Great I food. love the atmosphere at City Field. Yep. So if I take my bias out of it, honestly, City Field might be yes. better than Yankee Stadium. Yes. But my bias puts the Yankees at number one. I appreciate your bias, though. Like, there's, there's, dude, my one of my favorite stadiums of all time is Pro Player. 
Yeah, the shitty football stadium the Marlins played in because it's just that's where my memories are. And that's exactly. it was a piece of crap, but like it was my piece of crap. And I loved going to the games there. The Bermuda Triangle in center field. Like I just had all those crappy memories that are just so awesome. That, that's why I love that ballpark. So I get that side of it. My problem with Yankee Stadium is Yankee fans are some of those passionate out there you sit in the outfield it is so awesome and intense well, until they take it too far but generally speaking it is really awesome it's just too corporate behind home plate and i get it it's the yankees the biggest franchise in sports and like in north american sports and that's why but like there's so many games where you just don't have that atmosphere that you quite have at city because yankee stadium is a bit more corporate especially right. behind home plate that's my only gripe with it but i, I again i with what you you say with your your experience, I totally get it. And I I sold season tickets for the Yankees, so I've I've been to every seat in Yankee Stadium. But I will say, the best seat at a baseball game, you sit in the Legends, which is it's like a five star meal. You go into the Yankee Stadium before the game. There's lobster. There's steak. No it's about way. as corporate as you could possibly yeah, there you think. Go. There's a full buffet, and it's not just buffet sports. I mean, it's it's a really good restaurant worth of food. Lobster, sushi, prime rib, every every kind of elegant food that you can imagine is down there in the legend seats. What is Are the they ticket? Nine hundred dollars? Yeah, was $1, it twelve hundred dollars? Twelve hundred dollars. They're the most expensive seats in baseball. Like by far, cushion seat. Because they're, the, they're the fucking Yankees. Free drinks, exactly. They're the Yankees. That's the point. So I'm saying, like, I get why maybe, they do it, but maybe it, the best overall ticket is Yankees, Red Sox, and Legends behind home plate, where you get prime rib, lobster, sushi beforehand with all the beer you could drink, and then the cushion seat. That might be the best experience, but for every other fan, because I've only got yeah, only you and the I opportunity get, once. We ain't yeah, doing that regularly. I that was a gift that. to me from my dad. Like that ain't happening ever again, unless unless this podcast goes crazy. With that said, would you please give us a five star review and on YouTube if you're watching? So, we can, like, so we can so get we some can lobster at the next legends. baseball game. <laughs> I want to sit yes, in the legend seat. <laughs> yes, please. Also, but so if we're talking about the best experience, it might be that, but the overall stadium atmosphere yeah. for 99.9% of all baseball fans, Yankee Stadium doesn't make the top five for pretty much every other baseball fan except me because I'm biased. Yep. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. And uh, City this year, it's been rocking. City's been awesome. This is another great one. What are your favorite playoff series of all time? Asked by Andrew Sarter on Instagram. I'm going to start with my favorite playoff series of all time. 2016 Cubs versus Indians doesn't get better than the Cubs ending the 108 year Billy goat drought. The funny thing is there was a three, one lead. By the Cleveland Indians at first, and then the Cubs battled their way back. It wasn't just one of the best game sevens I've ever seen in my entire life. First of all, I bet on the Cubs money line game seven. Still to this day, the greatest bet I've ever made, not because it hit. You know, I've had other bets that hit and other bets that lost. It was just the best game ever the Rajai Davis tying it up uh, uh, off. That, that was one of the that's one of the coolest moments of all time. Coolest moments that's of all time. Chapman. With Rajay Davis choked up like a foot on the bat. And you're like, no shot, no shot. He's touching this. And boom, that's one of the most unbelievable baseball moments I've, I've had because Davis wasn't a power hitter really at all. And 
doing that to Chapman at like his peak was was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I have another one. And then I have one that we never saw, but what seems to be historically one of the best playoff series of all time. But give me your best playoff series that you've ever seen. Man, I mean, that that obviously was one of them. We I talked about it. like one game that we could go back in time and watch. I, l- looking at that that Cardinals, you know, unbelievable David Freese, you know, home run game six. And we will see you tomorrow, tomorrow night, night, which is the intro to this freaking podcast, right? The best ever. That, that series, 2011, I probably remember just as vividly as anything. Like, what the hell is Nelson Cruz still doing in the outfield? Right. <laughs> and, and that ball goes right, right over his head. Um, just everything about that series to me, like I obviously we were well into being baseball fans then, but there was just so much like down to the last out, down to the last strike. You're expecting it to be over and it just keeps going and keeps going. And then we got that bonus seventh game as well. Um, yeah. I'm going to go 2011 world series for me. I, I don't know if I can think of a, a more enjoyable and uh, I would say just tense and uh, stressful, even though I didn't have a horse in the race. Uh, besides, of course, the Cubs World Series victory will, I think, forever be the, the most insane thing we've seen. One of my first memories as a baseball fan, 2004, ALCS, Yankees, Red Sox. <laughs> Yankees go up 3 nothing. They ask Kevin Millar. Kevin Millar says, don't count us out. We got Pedro going game five. We got Schilling going game six. And anything could happen in game seven. Don't let us win tonight. And the Yankees let them win in game four. Then they win in game five. Then they win in game six. Then they win in game seven and crush the Yankees in game seven. I remember, like, that's one of my first memories. I was born in 1997. I was seven years old. I mean, you you start making memories around when, what, you're five years old? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember remember, the three World Series for the Marlins that much. I was six. I remember the TV. I remember Johnny Damon. I remember that, how crushing it was. But it's funny, watching that documentary, Four Days in October, is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, it's pretty freaking sick. As a Yankees fan, I love that. It's That is baseball in – how can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah. I mean, the quote, don't let us win tonight. We got Pedro game five. We got Schilling game six and we, and anything could happen game seven. That is baseball. That's, that anything could happen quote. and you can never count us out. That is, in my opinion, although I wasn't, you know, it wasn't 2016 where I remember every moment going back, watching that, that seems like one of the great playoff series of all time. I have oh. one more. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, I would have said 03 if I could freaking remember it, but I, I barely, barely, yeah. barely remember that. I was six, man. Like, I fades in and out. Uh, I probably would have said the Cubs series if I remember the Steve Bartman game, but I, I don't. I can't pretend I do. I wish I did because since then they've been absolutely atrocious. Um, but not that that's really the that's it that really comes off the top of my head here. I do think that that Astros series, um, what year was that? I feel like they've been in it so many, so many years. The Astros Dodgers, where what was that? 2019, where yeah, it, was it was 2019. Home run after home run after home run. I think the road team won all like seven times in, in that series. 
that was a really fun postseason. The ratings were unbelievable. There was just so much offense. I, I really enjoyed that one. Obviously, it doesn't hold a candle historically to some of the others, but uh, and then and, and obviously it got taken away for a lot of reasons uh, by a lot of people based on what happened. And there's a big reason why we saw a lot of offense from the Astros. But there was it was just a very fun series if you remove all of the other uh, implications as well uh, to watch at the time. And it does seem neither of us saw this one. So, you know, we don't know every single detail, but one of the biggest details in World Series history was it gets through Buckner, the oh, 1986 yeah. World Series between the Red Sox and the Mets. Uh, I'm sure Mets fans enjoy watching replays of Ray Knight they do. hitting it's all home they do. plate. Yeah, it's all, literally all they do. And we've been hearing about it since. You know, I saw a funny TikTok today. It was like Mets fans yelling at Yankees like, you guys haven't won a World Series in 2009. And then a Yankee fan calls back. It's like, you haven't won a World Series since the Soviet Union dissolved. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. 86. 86. Next one. Not as much of a banger, but still a player that I really do want to talk about because he could be a big cog for the Dodgers. What do you think about Trace Thompson? Is it sustainable success or more lightning in a bottle? And should he start in the postseason over Bellinger? Asked by Smith, B-A-I-A-D on Twitter, our guy Smith. Smith Byad. Smith Byad. Um, This is a tough one. Because Trace Thompson came over to the Dodgers, Clay Thompson's brother. Yeah, which is for cool. cash consideration. So they weren't expecting much from him. But now he's got an 869 OPS arm. Yeah. Now he looks like a much better option than Cody Bellinger. But I still feel like when we go into the playoffs, the Dodgers don't really need Thompson's bat. They more need Bellinger's defense. Yeah. I know it's funny to make fun of Cody Bellinger because he's not the MVP candidate anymore. You know, he was a, a slugger first baseman and now he's a field first outfielder yeah. and a really good center fielder at that. Really good one. I think that's more important for the Dodgers than getting some added offense from Trace Thompson when you have the best offense already and Trace Thompson can be used off the bench in big spots. That's where he's best at. I think that's what the Dodgers are going to go for, but that shouldn't take away from what we've seen from Trace Thompson, which has been awesome yeah i will say like there, there's spots where he can pinch hit i think he's going to be a good bench bat for them um I, I am sold on trace thompson solidifying himself as a big leaguer in some capacity right this Absolutely. was somebody that was bouncing around quadruple a guy made some adjustments to his swing quieted the hands down a little bit and he's hitting the ball as hard as he ever has the power is crazy he's going to strike out a bunch so I, and the defense is pretty solid he's a good athlete just like his brother can play all three outfield spots I think to answer the question from the Trace Thompson perspective, I think he's solidified himself, whether it's with the Dodgers or somebody else as a, you know, solid bench bat, maybe a platoon bat, fourth outfielder with big time power um, that, you know, I think can give you a little bit there. But when we're talking about Cody Bellinger, like you, you talk about the defense, you already hit on that. He's one of the better defensive center fielders in baseball, but also this guy's been there. Even when he's not good, he's clutch. Remember the three-run shot last postseason? Remember what he did? He wasn't good last regular season either. But guess what? He was good in the postseason. I mean, he was really solid. You go all the way to this NLCS, he was one of their best hitters in that loss uh, against the, the uh, Braves. He, he can play in the big spots. He's comfortable in the big spots. And he earned himself the opportunity to be the starter in the postseason after what he did last year. I think he had 12 hits. Uh, in the postseason last year, including a couple home runs. He he deserves an opportunity to give it another go. And even if he doesn't hit, like you said, he's going to play great defense. And he always has that opportunity to come up clutch like he has so many times already in his career.
in summary, the Dodgers are really good, and it doesn't really matter what they do. They're going to use both of them, and they're probably going to win. Get them ninth. Who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Assuming the season ended today, taking the playoff bracket into consideration, would you rather be the first or the third wild card spot in the American League? So would you rather play the AL Central winner on the road for three games and then the Yankees or secure a home playoff series? This is a fascinating question when it comes to where do you want to finish in the wild card so blue jays fans rays fans orioles fans mariners fans would you rather face the al central winner on the road which is going to be the guardians of the twins or somehow the white Sox, or and then you would probably go play the yankees or would you rather face the astros and the we don't, don't skip that right. You got to face the the Mariners at home, right? Exactly. Yeah. Excuse me. Well, it it depends. Um, whoever's the first wild card team. That's why it's a little bit of a, a tricky one. But I don't know personally. I would rather face the winner of the AL Central than go play the Yankees right now. Yes. that's where I lean. But where do you lean, dude? If you got to face the the Mariners and that in a three game set and then go to Houston. It's a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare because I know you're home versus away. I would way rather face the Guardians in a three-gamer than the Mariners. We talk about the Guardians and pitching is their strength, yes. But the Mariners' three-headed monster at the top right now is, is really scary. And it might not even include Logan Gilbert. But you got to deal with Luis Castillo, who's been phenomenal since the trade. Robbie Ray has looked like Cy Young Robbie Ray over much of the second half. And George Kirby has been spectacular. Spectacular. Those three are terrifying. You might not even make it to game three. And we know the offense is better than the Guardians. And then you get through that. Okay, great. You got to go play Houston, who obviously looks a lot better than, than the Yankees right now. I, I don't I don't want it to be, you know, portrayed as like, oh, I want the Yankees in the postseason. I don't. The Yankees are really freaking good. They're in a rough patch right now. It's obviously been a really, really, really bad second half, but I still don't want to face the Yankees in the postseason. But compared to the Astros. Give me the Yankees. And then compared to the wild card teams, I don't think it's close. I'd way rather play the Guardians. I w- I'm a Yankees fan. I'd way rather play the Astros. Or I'm, I'd way rather play the Yankees if I'm an imposing team rather than playing the Astros. And then when you're looking at the Mariners versus whatever winner you're going to get from the AL Central, I'd rather take the Mariners. So both teams are better. I would rather face the Yankees and the winner of the AL Central than the Astros and the Mariners. Pretty straightforward there. Yeah. This one is not as straightforward because any answer is correct. If you're the if you're Michael Elias and can only keep Gunnar Henderson or Grayson Rodriguez, who would you keep? Asked by at Klein Schroeder on Twitter. This is about as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Gunnar Henderson is the number one prospect, or at least a top five prospect by every single publication. Watch out for the top 100 coming here at JustBaseball.com very soon. And then Grace Rodriguez is the number one pitching prospect by almost every single publication. And spoiler alert, I think he's going to be the number one pitching yeah. prospect yeah. on the Just Baseball. You can spoil that one. You yeah, can spoil I think that's that pretty obvious. Aram is obsessed with Grace Rodriguez and for good reason. We compared him to Walker Bueller. When I asked Aram and Jack, who does Grace and Rodriguez remind you of? They both thought to themselves, he's like a bigger Bueller, which is incredible. But then Gunnar Henderson, already at 21 years old, 
looks incredible and can play shortstop or third base. Very similar to the Michael Harris Strider conversation, but I think there's a very real opportunity that Gunnar Henderson is better than Michael Harris and Grayson Rodriguez could somehow be better than Spencer Strider, even though Strider has been one of the best pitchers, not only of the rookies in all of baseball this year. Yeah. Arm, I'm going to throw this over to you because I don't really have a good answer here. I would lean Gunnar Henderson just because Gunnar Henderson is doing it already and give me, I guess, the position player because I don't truly know what I'm going to get from Grayson yet. But that's the only reason I'm saying Gunnar. You could go either way. So who would you rather take? So given this the state of the Orioles, um, you got to clutch on to Grayson Rodriguez for dear life, I think. Like the drop-off from Grayson Rodriguez to any other young pitcher in their system is is so dramatic. Um, and you know, Grayson Rodriguez before he went down this year, I mean, just ridiculous numbers and, and at every stop in the minor leagues, ridiculous numbers. I don't think he's ever had an ERA over, over two, six or even lower than that over the course of a whole season. I don't think he's ever that? had an ERA what remotely. Is Sorry. What is that? It's just a freak. I, like, you'll, well, you'll see our pitch grades, but I'll just talk about fan graphs real quick. Fan graphs gives his fastball a 70. His slider is 70, his curveball is 60, his changeup an 80, and his cutter is 60, and his command a 50. Um, that sounds like an alien. Uh, but I love Gunnar Henderson. I really do. But you look at what they have right now. Uh, they have not nearly as good as him, but Jordan Westberg's a really solid prospect that that can, you know, anchor the left side of the infield. They've got a bunch of other infielders. The drop-off is not as dramatic as like a Grayson Rodriguez to whoever else you want to pick in their system. And they're so desperate for arms. I think Grayson Rodriguez instantly becomes their ace next year. Grayson Rodriguez legitimately could be the first. I don't know if they'll do it, but one of the first rookies I can remember in a while who could make his big league debut on opening day. (laughs) Like He could be their opening day starter as a rookie if he doesn't get called up this year, which I don't think he will. Uh, could you imagine that? Like your opening day starter is making his big league debut. I don't know if they'll do that to him, but like he's that much better than I think everybody else on their staff presently. That's incredible. That's incredible. All right, let's move on. So the answer for the Orioles is Grayson Rodriguez, but let's take that out for a second. Let's just take that out because we can't really take it out because it is the Orioles. And the question was, if you're Elias, who would you rather take for the Orioles' sake? But I guess when you're ranking prospects, or should we leave that up for the top 100 for you to find out, which I'm also okay with. I'm also yeah. okay with that. It's really tough because depending on how Grayson's health, that's going to be uh, an impact on on how these guys kind of stack up. Grayson just made his return recently. Um, last thing I'll say on Grayson Rodriguez He's pitched already across three, like every level. He's already up at triple A. He's 22 years old. Opponents in their career or in his career in the minor leagues are hitting 170 against him. 233 ERA, 248 FIP, 36% K rate, 8% walk rate. He's six foot five, 220 pounds. And he has four, technically five pitches. Stay tuned for the top 100 drop in here soon on JustBaseball.com. Last question, and this is another really good one. If you had to give Alec Manoa a contract today, what would it look like? Asked by at Daniel Andy 5 Well, I can say one thing. The Blue Jays may be slightly scared to give big-time pitching 
pitching deals because they got burned by Jose Barrios. But on the same side, Kevin Gossman has been a really good addition. That looks like a very solid contract. Looking at five years around 100 million, Kevin Gossman has been one of the best pitchers on the Blue Jays this year, but maybe the best pitcher overall on the Blue Jays is Alec Manoa. Aram, if you are the GM of the Toronto Blue Jays and you have to, for some reason, extend Alec Manoa today, which you definitely do not have to, and I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to be doing that anytime soon, but what would you give the 6'6", 280-pound, 24-year-old who's got a 2.48 ERA this season. He's so good. Um, I will start with, I would definitely wait it out a little bit, you know, like the way the Marlins waited. I know Sandy Alcantara wasn't as good when he signed the deal. Like this has been his big breakout year, but also you kind of want to leverage those arbitration years. You know, when, once you're in like that first year of arbitration, because right now, he has five years of control still. So it's team control, team control. He doesn't hit arbitration until 2025. So theoretically speaking, I would ride it out for another two years. But to answer the question, um, we've never really seen a long-term pitcher contract this young. Uh, so it, it's really tough. I think something along the lines, because you have to also acknowledge that the early, early years of team control are going to be really cheap. I mean, Ronald Acuna made a million dollars first year of that contract then five and then like five again. I think Michael Harris is like five and five again. Um, I think something along the lines of like eight years, 140 million is what I was thinking, because it's going to be cheap on the front end. You got three extra years on the back end uh, and you got to pay him a little bit on the back end, but it'll be affordable for you. That that's a big leap if you're the Blue Jays, but hell, you got one of the best young pitchers in baseball locked up till he's 32 and he's big. He looks durable. That's probably what I'd be around is eight years, 140. Eight years, 140 sounds good to me, but Blue Jays, they're not going to do it anytime soon because they don't need to do it anytime soon. If they want to, they can because there's not many better young pitchers in baseball that I think we're pretty sold on with Alec Manoa at this point. I mean, it's hard to find a guy that, throws as hard as he does but doesn't give up hard contact at all gets and throws plenty strikes. of strike it throws so many strikes he's in the 77th percentile in walk rate i just think it's incredible that he's in the 93rd percentile in hard hit rate and he's got almost a 40% ground ball rate every single one of his pitches when you're looking at a four seam slider sinker changeup all are fantastic <sighs> Alec Manoa is one of the better pitchers in the American League at the age of 24. Anything else on Alec Manoa before we say goodbye? I just, I, he's one of my favorite pitchers. I'm so excited to watch him throw in the postseason, potentially, yeah. uh, because of the way he is such a competitor. He is going to be a blast to watch on the big stage. And that'll do it for this mailbag episode thank you guys all for asking all of these questions again go make sure you're following us on twitter and on instagram the twitter is at just bb media that's linked below and on instagram at just baseball show we do these mailbags we release it tuesday morning get all of your questions in and then we answer them of course on this wednesday episode Thanks again for listening. If you are enjoying this, the best way to support the Just Baseball Show, give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Toss us a like in the comments. Let us know anything that you didn't agree with or maybe some stuff that you agree with that you wish we would speak on further. And we will use some of that in some of our next episodes. Make sure you get yourself some Just Baseball merch. We have new long sleeves, new hats. It's all available in our Just Baseball store, which is also linked below. 
And we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back Friday. We're going to be covering all of baseball, of course, over the last month of September and the postseason, but also arms covering more in-depth prospects on the call-up podcast. That is what you can find. Search the call-up to hear Aram. Also, Jack joins to talk more about MLB prospects. And for all of our football fans that are listening and all of our gambling fans, we also I'm hosting a show called Not Gambling Advice, where I just had on any fans who found us on TikTok, Theo Ash, Matthew Sponauer of the Stay Hot podcast. That is also available on Not Gambling Advice. And part two, as you're listening to this right now, will also be available. That's a full NFL preview, two-part episodes. It's over three hours long. And then also those are the daily MLB best bets. Plenty of information on there. And then I will be betting every Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, on the podcast, as well as using prize picks in order to do more player props. So use code just baseball in order to get a full deposit match up to $100. I think we're done arm. Yep. Brewers top 10 is out on just baseball.com. And that's it for me. With that. Thank you everybody. Thank you.